0: Time to go back to the beginning and do it all over again on Overview with Asteroid G. You're listening to Not So Live from Asteroid G, broadcasting straight from the Delta Quadrant. I'm Mike Finkelstein. With me, as always, is...
1: Josh Schaefer.
0: You don't want to rank or something?
1: Yeah, I I know that I'd be an instant in real life, and (laughs) that just makes me a little sad.
0: (laughs) Space cadet Josh Schaefer.
1: Space Cadet, Josh Schaefer.
0: <laughs> no, you didn't have to say it. I was just being mean. But okay. uh, <laughs> you're like, it's fair, damn it. Uh, <laughs> we're actually doing a little bit of an overview, a little bit of a revisit right now. Because, oh God, what, back in first or second, I think it was actually first season of this podcast, <laughs> we uh t- t- discussed Star Trek. And, well, Star Trek has come up again and again since. It feels like there's been enough new Trek to come out that it's worth revisiting our past overview and doing an addendum of sorts to it. And the reason for that is funny Star Trek, specifically Lower Decks, and in in the same vein, even though it's not technically Star Trek, it's absolutely Star Trek, The Orville. And so I want to drop a bombshell to start this off. Um, As much as I love the movie, and I think the movie is great, and for its time it was perhaps the best Star Trek to ever come out, I kind of feel like between the Orville and Lower Decks, we've gotten a better funny Star Trek than Galaxy Quest.
1: No, I I was actually going to say that if you didn't. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I was telling you that before because it took me a long time to convince you to watch Orville because you hate Seth MacFarlane.
0: I do hate Seth MacFarlane. Um, I wouldn't have made the the Galaxy Quest comparison, I think, until Lower Decks came out. Um, And that's because, Uh, like the Orville and Lower Decks feel of a piece. And I mean, Galaxy Quest is very much a like Hollywood riffing on a Hollywood while also poking fun at Star Trek. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's this, um, I like Galaxy Quest. I think Galaxy Quest is a great movie. Um, I yeah. think it's harder to watch now in large part because of Tim Allen.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. But he plays he plays himself in that movie for the most part, so yeah. I think I'm okay with it because it's not a leap of imagination being like this is probably how he's kind of is in real life. A
0: self-centered egotistical dick? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it works in the context of he's supposed to be William Shatner without having the license to William Shatner. And Yeah. I don't think there's anyone who could do that kind of role and have it with that same kind of, wow, he's great here, but man, I hate him so much as Tim Allen.
1: Yeah. 100%. Unless you do Mel Gibson, maybe.
0: (laughs) Oh God. I don't want to think about Mel Gibson in the next galaxy quest. I wouldn't be able to watch it. That's what I am. Sure.
1: Yeah. Same. Sorry. We coming off of the, uh, yeah,
0: (sighs) but yeah, no, like I like galaxy quest. I do feel like, in in small part, it's time has passed. I don't know if that's just because I've watched it so many times that it doesn't have that fiery spark it used to, or if it's, I think in large part, it's because it's being outpaced now as far as parodying Star Trek in a loving way uh, by the Orville and by Lower Decks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... uh, Yeah, well, I actually... He's saying actually, um, I just watched the quest again, yeah. Um, and for the most part, it still held up, like the good parts were still good. Um, like I, I always thought that Tim Allen was kind of flat in that movie because he just yeah. plays Tim Allen,
0: yeah. he He's not that far different from Tim the Toolman Taylor, he just grunts less,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And
1: like Sigourney Weaver was all right, Alan Rickman and Sam Rockwell and Tony Shaloub though they make like the they make the movie and with and I think if you lose any one of them it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked.
0: No, yeah, no, it's between uh Tony Shaloub's just almost stoned out of his mind uh engineer uh paired up with Sam Rockwell's character who's just the absolute like best straight man but still Sam Rockwell at the same time. Uh and then Alan Oof. Rickman who's both above everything, which I think was just his natural way of performing that character anyway, uh, but yeah. then being forced into the most ridiculous situations. Like, the three of them have the best meat of that. The part that focuses on the the Captain Kirk analog and the Ahura analog, there's just really not a lot of meat there.
1: No. Yeah. Not at all. But, but yeah, but, like, uh, with the Orville, though, it, it has meat to it. It's funny, there's, like, hijinks in space, but I don't know, like, because when I first watched it, I was just assuming that, you know, Seth MacFarlane was just going to, it was going to be, like, Family Guy in space, where, you know, you watch a 30-minute episode of Family Guy, feel disgusted, and just, like, this wasn't funny, but I guess there was one joke I kind of chuckled at, um, so I was like, man, this is just going to be dumb, but this was, like, or is, because it's still going on, right? Yeah, it's been picked up for
0: a third season directly on Hulu, and that's the reason why I'll pick up Hulu again come November or December, because I want to watch that as it comes out. I want to support that show.
1: Yeah, Um, but the Orville, like, clearly, like, Seth MacFarlane, I always thought, like, he's obviously a smart guy, obviously a nerdy dude, and I think he kind of accidentally put himself in a niche with Family Guy-related stuff, Like, I mean, he's still kind of swarmy and whatnot, but like seeing him have like free reign on a sci-fi show like the Orville, like his jokes are smarter. There's actual, like, it's like next generation, but you know, with like every episode has like that warm feel goody, like Mm -hmm. this is the message of the episode. Um, but best love letter to Star Trek I've ever seen, Uh uh, more realistic. The cast is great. Seth MacFarlane, I actually like as the captain, which yeah.
0: was another himself. thing I was
1: kind of surprised by.
0: Yeah, like, he, it, it, it's the Captain Kirk syndrome. You, the, the person who's cast basically plays himself, and he very much plays Seth McFarlane, But he tones it down enough that it works here.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I feel like this is the first time, like, because Family Guy came out when I was in middle school or high school, I think. I can't remember when, but it was in the 90s. I think it was 99. Um, no, I was right. I just Googled it. I was right. 99. And like, he's always been, he's been doing that for so long. And I think this is the first time, like, I don't know. Cause as someone who has ADHD, maybe he finally got on some meds and was like, this is me. Like, <laughs> well, I'm I, Captain Mercer.
0: I also think in all honesty that I mean, I mean, he's a nerdy guy, as you said. I think also deep down, he's a Star Trek guy. Um, oh, 100%.
1: Yeah, like He's well, he's even had like Star Trek stuff in his shows, like American Dad. He convinced Patrick Stewart to be the CIA boss,
0: which I mean, is the like, only reason
1: I watch that show. There's
0: someone who likes Star Trek, and then there's someone who's deep into Star Trek. And the vibe he gives off with this show is that he's deep into it, which stands in stark contrast to J.J. Abrams, who... Doesn't like Star Trek, never watched Star Trek, and basically made his version of a Star Trek movie, which doesn't feel like Star Trek. Seth MacFarlane wanted to make Star Trek. Hell, at one point, he was in negotiations with NBC to buy Star Trek away from CBS and Paramount so that he could make proper Star Trek. Um, And I think that was actually after the first season of Orville aired. Uh, But clearly, he wanted to do this show for a while. Maybe he couldn't get CBS to even take a meeting with him about it or what, but he got... Uh, the producers behind NBC and Fox to let him make his ideal of Star Trek just without the brand name.
1: Yeah, yeah, it worked. It worked. Like, I would have loved to. See, like, I, I kind of wish or hope that the Orville lets him launch into a movie, oh, like yeah. a Star Trek movie. Um, I don't know how well he could do it because, like, I, I kind of liked a million ways to die in the West. It had people its moments, don't. but huh?
0: Most people don't.
1: Yeah, most people... There were, some. There were like, five real quality jokes that are worth the movie, in my opinion.
0: Well, but, here's the thing. The 2 partners he's done on the show have actually had a couple of very epic moments in there. Uh, but they've shown a really solid continuity of ideas and growth of the story across the two-parters. I think if he carried the writer's room over and got a larger budget with the right director to back it up, like, yeah. I think he could do a movie and have it feel maybe like a slightly better overly long episode but i think it would work i mean that's what most star trek movies have been
1: yeah i think so
0: yeah um but it's interesting because it's very clear that the orville indirectly at the very least influenced what they're doing with star trek lower decks and i think part of the reason why it's set in the lower decks as opposed to just focusing on the bridge crew again for a funny episode is so that they don't get the comparisons to the Orville. Yeah, Yeah.
1: 100%.
0: The Orville did it first. If they're going to do their own thing, they had to do it just enough different that people weren't like, oh, so Star Trek is just going to steal from the Orville now while the Orville steals from... Boo! But Mm -hmm. the other thing is, by making it funny, but also tapping into that same idea of how the Orville does it, which is not serialized storytelling, you can have serialized elements, a bad guy that shows up again and again, some concepts that carry from one episode to the next, but by having it be episodic in nature, they're avoiding the pitfalls of Discovery and Picard, which we can discuss in a second, and they're actually tapping into the the more natural storytelling of how Star Trek does things, of just letting the universe grow, letting the characters grow, having beats that show up again and again, and then they can focus on just telling stories.
1: Yeah. And yeah. it's also because, like, a lot of the fan-loved characters, I guess, kind of aged out of their roles. Yeah. A little, like, Riker, for example. You're going to have young Riker again, and no one knows the difference because he's animated. Because
0: he's animated. Uh, I mean, they're going to have young Janeway-ish. I think as a hologram, but still. And uh, yeah. the new one... Uh, that's coming up, Prodigy, which, oh my god, I have no desire to watch that, but I will anyway. It looks awful.
1: It looks like a movie.
0: Prodigy looks like a... Star Trek Prodigy looks like a kid's show done by Nickelodeon that just so happens to have the Star Trek property associated with it. It's not anything I would ever want to watch on my own.
1: Yeah, I'm not... I'm not sure how that's going to go...
0: I like I could see it like being candy coated enough that kids want to watch it constantly, and I could see it being hated by the fans. And kids don't give a shit because it's Star Trek and it only lasting a single season. Like, could go either way. Yeah, yeah. Um
1: But, like, but it, might, it might surprise us though, because I thought Avatar was going to be really stupid, and I was way wrong. So
0: the last. I'm, I'm going
1: to go into it with an open mind, but I'm
0: like Avatar: The Last Airbender.
1: Yeah, sorry, not 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 not, the, not
0: not the not the Blue Kitten movie. Yeah, okay, because that one was stupid. I'm sorry, I'm just putting that out there.
1: Um, yeah, <laughs> so- but because like I'm kind of excited about a couple people in the cast because, um, David Diggs, who was. Uh, May his fame in Hamilton's going to be in it. Okay. And I really like him and uh, Jamila Jamil from Good Place.
0: Oh shit, she's going to be voicing in that. Oh. He's going
1: to be in a recurring role, and so is uh, Jason Alexander. If. So.
0: Okay, I like. I, I I could I could tune in for the voice cast. I could.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, I will, as the kids say, stand. I will always stand for Jason Mant yeah <laughs> He's in it too. I don't know who he's, how to say his name, but he always plays, you know who he is, right? He the crazy out
0: characters, yeah, I know
1: him. Yeah, well, I love whacked out characters, and I want him to be whacked out in the Star Trek universe now, so.
0: <laughs> so, but it's, it's, it's the interesting thing with Lower Decks is that, yes, it's designed by one of the people who used to work on Rick and Morty. Uh, so, yeah. like, the first season especially has a very... Like at times, gross out Rick and Morty vibe that that definitely was toned down a lot. As I think he listened to fan feedback and found the right tone. Um, but Star yeah. Trek's been running for so long that there's a lot that can be lampooned lovingly to take just a little a bit of the air out of it without like hating on the show. Um, yeah. And I think what works is that by making the show a quote unquote or the the ship a second contact show. You definitely get the idea that these guys are not the flagship a-listers of the Star Trek universe. They're and that they maybe not the dregs, but closer to dregs, so that they can just have fun without having to be the face of the Federation. Yeah. So, and that works for the show. And at the same time, because it's episodic, they're not worrying, they're not prioritizing specific characters and their serialized storylines over everyone else. You get to know all of the cast, you get to, like, know not just the lower deckers, but some of the up the bridge folk, and they all have defined character traits and specific plot lines that are going on with them, even if they're very, very minor ones, that goes on. Like, my comparison is Discovery. Who do you know in that cast besides Michael Burnham? Who matters on Discovery outside of Michael Burnham?
1: Oh, I thought you were talking, I was like, <laughs> for a second I was like, I don't recognize that actor. Who's that actor? It took me a second. I'm there now. Character. Um hmm.
0: Yeah, like uh, it's his name's not Soren. The the, the the tall alien guy.
1: Yeah, I know Saru.
0: Saru, thank you. Yeah, so yeah. Saru has a decent plot line. Uh, Captain Pike in second season had a decent plot line. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Yeoh's character had an okay plot line at times, but as far mm-hmm. as storytelling priority was concerned like that's four characters I can name across two seasons, uh, and the rest of the bridge crew doesn't fucking matter at all.
1: Like I know I know them in my head. Yeah. Like, like uh, I know there's uh the dude who like the engineer mushroom yeah. guy. Like I know him.
0: He doesn't really like, have much of a story beyond I love I love my gay husband and my gay husband died and came back and that yeah. my character doesn't evolve at all over the course of a single season.
1: Yeah, and then you have, like, the really bubbly... Tilly. Um, Tilly, yeah. I like Tilly.
0: Yeah, but she doesn't have any character growth it either. Really... She starts bubbly and wanting to be a captain, and she ends bubbly and wanting to be a captain. Yeah. That's my problem. My, my... my problem with Discovery is, you know one character trait about a lot of people. There's, like, the navigator who has a an implant, bionic implant on her, and that's the whole of her character. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And that's everyone there's a Trill on there,
1: somewhere too, isn't there? Who? Trill. There's a Trill.
0: Oh, yeah, the Trill got introduced and they have a character arc uh, for parts of the second season, which I'm expecting to not grow at all over the next season because that's how Discovery yeah. does. But and that's still better.
1: fourth season coming yeah. out in November.
0: That's still better than Picard, which not only has lack of character growth, but also a terrible storyline.
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I... Like, Picard is, like, I don't know if there's going to be a payoff or not, but it is real slow.
0: It's real slow and real bad, and they're going to have to really executive retool the shit out of that show to make it at all watchable in second season.
1: Yeah, like, and I'm hoping that first season, because first season has that this is a build-up to a bigger story. So I'm hoping that's what's going to happen. I, but, I'm
0: not. I'm not cautiously optimistic. I'm cautiously dreading. I guess <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, but it had to. It had to have done really good because I remember that there was uh. That that they had some issues with something where, um, with they wanted to include some of the other people from the original, yeah series, and I think like uh, Nichelle Nichols was one. If I and then. This has been a while, but I think they had, like, a story arc with Nichelle Nichols or something. She'd um, be
0: hideously old in that. Like, just as far as the continuity of the show itself is concerned, uhuru would be way old at that point.
1: Yeah, well, uh, ignoring th- that part, but, like, apparently, <laughs> like, Nichelle Nichols hasn't been in the best health recently. No. so yeah, I know that one. Scrap so, and it just has, like, the, the entire feel, because it came out right before COVID, right?
0: bit before yeah not 2019
1: like it just it felt kind of rushed at points where it was like
0: i can see that they
1: dangled like a like a carrot or a thread and then they just okay forgot the thread
0: this is the thing so picard is an interesting idea Uh, bringing picard back and having him travel the galaxy with a new crew okay i'm on board want to bring some of the next generation people on I'm on board. My issue with it is, is that it seems like the whole manifestation for the show is to tie up one plot point, which is data. Um, yeah. And it, re- it reminds me of another thing I hate that does the same thing, Chrono Cross, which is this whole long elaborate storyline that yeah. seems like it was all done simply to tie up what happened to Scala, which was not a plot line I even felt needed to be addressed. Yeah. So, it's the same thing. Data's dead. I You, you could drop little crumbs that maybe his, uh, his neural network is still around, and maybe three seasons down do a two-part arc where, like, you get a ghost of Data back. But to do an entire season just to tie up the fact that, oh yeah, Data's dead, but now he gets to say his goodbyes, that's fucking stupid.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's...
0: It's just fucking stupid.
1: It... I'm hoping that this is, like, this first season of Next Generation where you're just like, what am I watching? Mm. And then it gets good.
0: But it's just surprising how good Lower Decks is in comparison. And I think it it goes back to Star Trek is struggling to tell serialized arcs. The show, from the original series onwards, was designed episodically. And in its DNA, the way the show works is small and contemplative and thought provoking about issues. But when you try and ignore that and do big epic arcs, the three Star Trek movies of which I, uh, you know, the, the reboot ones of which I like one and three, uh, but they're not contemplative Uh, discovery, all three seasons, Picard's first season, they ditch the contemplative things that matter, which, which lower decks and Orville actually take into account and just go with epic. And maybe that's because yeah. they're funny, and so they use humor instead of epic to tell the stories, and it's that's why it's working. But it works there when it doesn't work on Discovery and Picard.
1: One hundred percent.
0: So, all right.
1: But I am interested because there's like, uh... isn't there like three or four new ones? There's because there's Prodigy that's coming out soon. Prodigy.
0: Yep, and they're they're doing a um, uh, Strange New Worlds, which is going to finally um, give. Pike his own Enterprise series, which actually I really liked. Anson Mount as Pike, and I would watch the shit out of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that seems cool. Yeah, and they have, I heard um, something about Section Thirty-One getting its own.
0: They keep saying that, but um, I think they're putting that on pause until they decide what they're doing with some of the other shows because they also CBS has also said five shows, counting Prodigy and Strange New Worlds, is enough. Um, and they don't want to do the Disney Plus overload of too many MCU shows at once. Yeah. Um, which
1: I'm all for because it's a lot of Star Trek.
0: It's a lot of Star Trek. Uh, I have a feeling like after four season, maybe Discovery ends and then they bring Section 31 in instead or something. Or if Picard sucks and they cancel after second season. Uh, but yeah, they want to do that. They also want to do some mini series, And one of the ones that I've heard being ban- banded about is uh, one focusing on Khan on... Uh, whatever planet he gets dumped on the uh, epsilon 75 which they think is epsilon 76 in the movie but is epsilon 75 um yeah yeah i think they want to do a con mini series i think so. all cool. which is okay
1: benedict cumberbatch is going to come back as con uh,
0: i hope they just cast someone else for that they someone who's actually somewhat ethnic in some respect yeah yeah so i oh, don't there's we're going to have a lot of star trek no matter what I just wanted to be...
1: Because we had, like, a 15-year dry spell.
0: Um, when Enterprise ended in 2003, I think we went, like, six years or so until the movies came out. But one movie every two or three years is not the same as having a TV show.
1: No. And I don't know if... And I feel like the Orville kind of helped Paramount.
0: It did. Like, going
1: back to the Orville again, because... Totally. After the first season Orville came out, like then Discovery shortly came out, it felt so
0: yeah. it's like CBS saw the Orville and was like, shit, we should have been doing this all along. Yeah. Yeah. But it also helps that the Orville knows what kind of show it wants to be and prioritizes being funny over it. Like yeah. so. And that's why yeah. I, I I just I, I think that I think what makes lower decks and Orville work so well is that they're just they're funny. So you can just get into the shows and care about the characters and then laugh with them every once in a while. Well,
1: and I think that's kind of indicative, too. Oh, I sound like a nerd. And that's Please. indicative. Indicative.
0: But at al.
1: We're, we're, at a, <laughs> we're, we're at a point in time where there's a generational shift because Next Generation was kind of when the boomers were our age, right? Um
0: uh, I mean, started in eighty oh, six. I got that yeah. I'd have to look at the year up. So that's I mean that's Gen X, but that's, so that that would be boomers that were adults and Gen Xers that were kids, and that became their Star Trek.
1: Yeah, so I think that we're like the millennial generation and like like the later Gen Xs mm-hmm. in in between, and even like the Gen Zs and whatnot. I feel like we yeah. use Humor more to mask and help with political and psychological issues. So, where like uh, next generation in the original series used, you know, allegory or, um, you know, just kind of like similarity type stories with racism and political issues. Like our like our generation specifically, I feel like we meet that stuff better when we laugh about it at the same time because we are like. At this point, it's just ridiculous that we're even still talking about this, like, and and I think that's why the Orville and Lower Decks kind of hits a lot of those points mm-hmm. because, you know, the people who are buying Star Trek now and the people who are liking and enjoying those shows are the older millennials because, like, even though like I'm technically a quote unquote Xenial or gen, X well, Y. It XY,
0: Gen Y, or if we um, want to go with what I was suggesting to you off off scene, we just call our little mini generation the Borg. So we are the, the Borg,
1: Borg. Yeah, um, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. But because like aren't you technically a millennial too, according to the government?
0: Uh, depending upon how you look at how they break up generations, the uh, mille- uh the Gen X either ends in 1981 or 1984. So I'm either just at the like or 1980 or 1984. So I'm either just the first year of being a millennial, which I still call Gen Y in my head, or okay. I'm uh, three years away from being a millennial. It's dumb. Yeah. I'm I'm at the cusp. I,
1: I was born in '84, so let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, in my day,
1: <laughs> right? It's like because I'm always like they're like, "What are you? You're not a millennial." I was like, "I don't like I don't feel like." Like, like I'm on the ghost. yeah,
0: yeah, the, yeah. Like, the, most of the things with that is you now have to do like little half ones because technology moves so fast that generation mm-hmm. markers don't matter as much. But to your point also, to expand upon that, the the people that loved next generation,, uh, they got their shows and they, yeah. the, the, they they hold them with high reverence. And it feels like discovery, and Picard are made by people who hold those shows in a high reverence. And the, and yes. while, while Seth MacFarlane holds those shows in high reverence, cause he's of that generation, he tapped into something that works better for like the millennials, which is the, we don't like, they don't have the same reverence for it. I can't go back and watch next generation. Cause I think it's painful to watch. Uh, so those shows that kind came out a little later, like deep space nine, which moved away from the conventions a bit, that works better for me. And the fact that they are willing to poke a little fun at next generation with the Orville with lower decks to take some of the air out, it helps to make staying in those generations more palatable because it's also saying like, we know a little of this is silly, but let's use this to tell a better story.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up deep space nine because when I talk to like people older than me and like yeah the like older Gen Xers or boomers. Yeah. Like, they love Next Generation. I grew up on Next Generation, right? But my first Star Trek word that I really started getting into was Deep Space Nine. Yep. And if you talk to almost any millennial or people around our age, our micro-generation, the Borg. The Borg. Like, they usually say the same thing. That's like, you know, no, like, we like Captain Cisco. Like, that dude, you know, he didn't mess around. And there's also humor in Deep Space Nine, too. So...
0: Yeah oh yeah yeah and i think that i think that's something that people need to remember is that some of the best things about next generation and deep space 9 and voyager uh were the humorous moments like captain picard's like put upon face every time he had to deal with captain picard day for example yeah yeah (laughs) so all right i'll even
1: throw enterprise in there too because
0: yeah Yeah, there there were some moments the character character interactions are always more palatable when they're having fun with each other as opposed to just being dour the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is, I, I think this is a good point to stop at this point because now we get to see what happens with the next Star Treks and how the series grows over the next three or four years so we can do yet another podcast about it.
1: Whee! Whee!
0: So, this has been Not So Live from Asteroid G. I am Mike Finkelstein of the Borg.
1: Josh Schaefer from the Klingon Empire. <laughs>
0: And we will see you next time.
1: Get out of here.